it's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 103. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening. It's Tuesday the 4th of April. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103. Coming up over the next hour, jam-packed schedule as always. The Cube in Port Leash is the result of a £2 million investment from Enterprise Ireland and Leash County Council and it will act as a focal point for the development of new business and economic activity. Its recently appointed director, Caroline Hoffman, will be here to explain how your business can become part of the journey to carbon neutrality in the Midlands. Also, with incidents of aggression to retail staff on the increase, how do you take steps to protect your staff and your customers? I'll have some expert insights from John O'Brien of Mangard Plus a little bit later. And new research suggests the COVID-19 pandemic has been a reality check, plus a learning experience for both employers and employees on the need to change and adapt new ways of working to ensure maximum output and success. The global CEO of Healthy Place to Work, John Ryan, will be along to discuss the key findings of a survey carried out on their behalf by Trinity College Dublin of over 6,000 employees in 18 companies across eight different countries. Lots happening here on Taking Care of Business. To join that conversation, you can text or WhatsApp me here in the studio on 0810 Sorry, 083 103. That's 083 103. Thank you to our thanks to the home of Offaly's top selling car brand, Lamb Brothers Toyota, on the Arden Road in Tullamore. Always happy to hear your thoughts on the current and pressing business stories around the region. You can get me on business at midlands103.com by email too. But first this evening, you might have seen the headlines the, that the VAT rate on solar panels is set to be abolished later this week. It's been put before Cabinet and by all indications, it's something that is likely to be brought through. So what impact might that have on domestic or commercial users or those who currently have solar panels installed or people who might be considering solar panels? Well, I'm going to take you back to October last year. I was joined on the show by Darren Buckley. Now, Darren is Commercial Director for Solar PV, Heat Pumps, Ventilation and Energy Auditing at Alternative Energy Island, Ireland. And Darren was on back then because in October last year, there was a major change made to our planning regulations and the installation of solar panels on domestic properties became exempt from planning permission, which was a major move. So does, does this week's move present another major opportunity for people considering solar? Well, Darren joins us, joins us now. Good evening, Darren. Evening, Ronan. How are you? Darren, this was a, you know, I suppose a welcome announcement by a lot of people who may be looking for solar because a lot of stats are telling us that many people are beginning to look at solar panels. Yeah, look, it's a great, um, it's a great move for the solar market. Um, I suppose returning to the UK, Wales and Scotland, they, they brought that in um, last year and it's, it's, it up sales over there by 36, 37%. Uh, so in, with ourselves and Alternative Energy Ireland, we've seen a lot of people this week wanting to put a hold on installs because they want to see to make sure that they actually are going to be VAT exempt from their installs because the VAT could be anywhere from 800 to maybe 1500 euro on their on their install. Yeah, Minister Eamon Ryan has suggested it could save at least a thousand euros on, on kind of most installations. So th- they've also said in their press release it's going to apply to homes and also public buildings. Is that then suggesting that it's not going to be available, it's not going to apply to commercial users? Uh, it's not, no, but commercial users, uh, commercial users get the VAT back on um, on their installs anyway, as, as do farmers, because it's a fixed asset, they'll be able to get the VAT back and actually it benefits commercial businesses more because they can get a tax write-off in the year that they pay for their system, up to 100% tax write-off in that financial year. So 
Um, it's not going to affect businesses, but it will affect public sectors, non-for-profits, uh, GEA clubs, sporting organisations, and obviously homeowners as well. And it's a divat, obviously, that applies to both the, the actual panels themselves and the installation, the labour too. Like, it's a divat has kind of yeah. been abolished off the entire process. Off the entire lot, yeah. So generally, for supply and install, the VAT, the VAT amount would be somewhere around, or would be somewhere like 13.5%. On some installs, it could be a 23%, but most most works and most houses would be 13.5% supply and install. So if you take your average house that's pushing in maybe a, a 5 or 6 kilowatt system, that's what people are going for now because they're trying to cover more and more of their energy demands throughout the 12 months, not just the summertime. They're pushing in batteries, they're pushing in hot water power diverters to heat the hot water with any excessive electricity. A typical install is costing maybe twelve or thirteen thousand euro after the grant now for homeowners. So if they can get the VAT back on that, you could be talking maybe upwards of eighteen hundred to two thousand euro on that type of a system. What would a typical return of investment be on that say an investment of twelve and a half thousand into solar panels and battery storage? Well if we don't if we if we leave the VAT to one side currently at the moment you're looking at a seven to nine year return on investment. Obviously we all know energy prices are quite high at the moment and they have been high for the last 12 months, if they, if they come back down to pre, pre-war times, um, you're probably looking at closer to nine years, but at current energy prices, you're looking at somewhere sort of between six and a half to seven years. With the, so with the VAT coming off that, you're probably back down closer to the five-year return on investment. That's what, that would be a lovely, a lovely sweet spot because your inverter comes with a five-year warranty. You can extend that to maybe a 10 or 15-year warranty as a 20-year as a lifespan. The panels come with a 25-year output guarantee above 86%, so the panels will be optimal or will be still operational above 86% in 25 years and the battery comes with a 10-year warranty as standard or a 10,000 charge cycle. So, you know, they, they, there's no moving parts of solar panels. The biggest thing that homeowners and business owners have to do is clean them once a year and that can be done with a, with a, a soft brush that you wash your car with and a garden hose. You don't need any fancy, fancy um, te- technology to clean them. So the selection of the, the, the most the best fit and the best type of solar panel for your application as well is an important aspect. It is. It's a huge important aspect. Like, you know, people want to when they're when they're spending this type of money and obviously, you know, uh, outside of a car for a fam- for a family home, uh, this this is probably their next biggest investment. Um so they're probably looking at as uh, as I said, ten to twelve thousand euro outlay. You want to be getting something with uh, tier one panels, so um something that's going to, that, that a company is around a long time, something that's going to last you 25 plus years. You want to be going with tier one inverters and, and reputable companies. Like, you know, obviously there's a, there's a huge uptake on solar panels and, 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 there's a, and there's a lot of companies starting up out there and everyone has to start somewhere, I suppose. But you want someone that's selling a reputable, a reputable product and someone that's going to be around in five or six or seven years' time if there is any issue. So I would always advise people to go and get two or three quotes, ask around locally, you know, ask your friends, neighbours, families or, 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 or work colleagues, did you get solar panels, who did you get them off, how did you find them? And then do your research on Google. Like Google can be can be your best friend or your worst enemy, uh, I suppose. But, you know, have a look at that company's reviews online as well and make sure that, that people are happy with the after sales, the, the, the installation, the quality of work and the and the savings they're getting out of, of, of their system. Is there much cost associated with the after sales and the servicing of the panels? <laughs> No, no, very little. As I said, like there is companies out there um, that that clean solar panels. So for for large installs, so anything above kind of thirty kilowatts and bigger. So if you're talking about eighty panels on a on an agri farm or a, a business upwards, uh, we offer a full O and M package where we can clean your panels once a year. Uh, we have a robot that uh, goes up on the roof and cleans the panels, and we do an electrical inspection. That's on the much larger scale systems. But for 
for your small homeowner, or for your homeowners, your small businesses and that, you can clean them once a year. There's a lot of window cleaning companies getting into actually cleaning solar panels. So, you know, you could get them there as well. And if anyone in the Midlands has any questions, by all means, they can reach out to us and we can put them in touch with people locally that are cleaning the panels and are carrying out electrical inspections as well. Given if this, you know, when it goes through this week, which is likely to, it's going to probably increase the demand and the, the interest in solar panels and all the associated technologies. Do you foresee any supply chain challenges on the back of that? Um, well, personally, no. Uh, in AEI, we source all of our materials from uh, Einhoven in, in the Netherlands, so we were lucky enough that we haven't seen really any any disruption. But yeah, there will be disruption across across the um, across the industry for for most suppliers that are waiting on stuff. Maybe they come from China or come from South America or America or wherever else. That's where the bulk of the manufacturing is done on on solar PV parts. So uh, there will be that, but to be honest with you, I think we're sort of seeing the, the, the tail end of the of the supply chain issues. Um, certainly by ourselves, we haven't noticed anything massive that's going to disrupt homeowners or anything else. But obviously, we have our installation teams and, and we do cover nationwide. But um, currently, if, if someone orders with ourselves or any of the other reputable companies out there, you're looking at sort of a three to five months uh, lead time on getting your install or your PV uh, solar panels installed. And that's not down to supply chain. That's just down to labour and I suppose it's like every market in Ireland, labour is at, uh, is, at, is at a premium. You know, people are waiting to, or people are trying to get people into jobs and there's just, there's not, just not the labour force there to fill those, those needs. But again, sounds positive on, on, on the whole. I said that's likely to come true later this week yeah. and I'm sure it's a move to be welcomed by many people. Darren Buckley, thank you so much for that this evening. Ronan, thanks for having me on. Darren Buckley there is a commercial director at Alternative Energy Ireland, your sustainable energy partners. If you can check them out there, if you want to find out even more information on how you can begin your journey to having solar panels put on your house, or if you are one of those public bodies like you know schools or GA clubs or whatever else, you can go on and also try and avail of that op- offer that's there too, or that opportunity as well. Stay tuned. After break, we're going to continue in that team of sustainability and green energy. I'll be joined in studio by Caroline Hoffman. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come this evening with incidents of aggression towards retail staff on the rise. How do you take steps to protect your staff and indeed your customers? We'll have some expert insights from Mangard Plus a little bit later and new research has shown that there's about four key areas that companies need to look at in order to have a healthy place to work. I'll be joined by the global CEO of Healthy Place to Work, John Ryan, to discuss the key findings of a recent survey carried out by TCD of over 6,000 employees in 18 companies across eight countries. But before that, I'm going to take you back to January 2020. Yes, a couple of weeks before you know what. But actually back then on the show, I was joined by the Chief Executive of Leash County Council, John Mulholland, and he was speaking about the CUBE, um, it was and basically a low carbon centre of excellence in Port Leash. Funding of just over two million had been ring fenced through the Regional Enterprise Development Fund. And uh, here's what John had to say about you know why the first why they went at looking at something like the Cube ultimately to use that funding. This goes back to about 2016 in talking with the local community, particularly in Port Leash and the downtown traders and people resident in the area, and looking at ways to try and arrest further decline in retailing or urban activity and to try and rejuvenate the town centre. So you have to bear in mind that that's really where it uh, where it started. And there was excellent buy-in and excellent commitment from people who live and do business in Port Leash. So starting with the 
small steps of urban renewal and regeneration, uh, quickly moving on to job creation, which is something that's badly needed. And then to mix those two together to try and reuse and to re-energize existing communities and buildings that are in the town was one of our objectives. So as time moved along then, the whole question of uh, climate action and low carbon came in into sharper focus. And low carbon became a central part of that. And John went on to say how they came up with the concept for the cube. Well, the cube has recently announced a new director, somebody who's no fam- uh, is not unfamiliar to listeners of this show and indeed to Midlands 103. It's Caroline Hoffman, the former uh, chief executive of Leash Chamber Alliance. Caroline joins me in studio now to tell us more about the cube. Caroline, congratulations on the new role. Thank and you. you had the official launch of the cube last Thursday evening. Tell us more about it. John mentioned kind of three pillars there that it looked at kind of addressing that need for urban regeneration, creating local employment, but also tackling that area of carbon neutrality, climate action, sustainability. Good evening, Ronan. So it's very interesting listening back to John Mulholland's piece there. So he's currently chairperson of the board of Port Leash Innovation Centre, as well as being chief executive of Leash County Council. Now, John has been instrumental um, in driving job creation, Um, innovation um, and industry in County Leash for example you know Junction 17 he really led that he's been stellar in every way imaginable um, and has also been very proactive pro-business and approachable Um, so now we're delighted to officially have opened the Cube 10,000 square foot low carbon centre of excellence spanning over three floors in the heart of Port Leash so it was a derelict and vacant building for a number of years. So to see it brought back into use is fantastic. Um, we have a tenant on the first floor, FRS and Work Work. We're currently in negotiations for the top floor tenant, and that's at an advanced stage now. And the ground floor will be dedicated um, to research and low carbon startups. So huge opportunity. So it's encompassing four different pillars, which include job creation, low carbon urban design and planning, which ties into Port Leash being designated the first low carbon town in Ireland. Um, we'll also be looking at low carbon and sustainability training um, for businesses of all sizes across all sectors. And this will also include consultancy to assist them on that journey. And we'll also be looking finally at the incubation of the low carbon focused startups and emerging companies to tie into the ecosystem, not only in Leash, but also in the Midlands. So the Cube is really the first innovation centre of its kind for the region. And as John said, it's kind of the, the actual early toss where it go back almost seven or eight years at this point as well. So fabulous to see it come into fruition. What's the attraction for a company like FRS or Workwork to come in and actually have a base in the Cube? Well, location, location, location. Um, we're a stone's throw from Portley train station um, and from ha- and also the, the bus routes as well. Um, we're very close to the, the town centre and main streets. Um, so we're within walking distance very easily. Um, location is a huge point for, for FRS from having discussions with their team there. They're having a lot of their training now in Portleash. Um, so they have staff travelling from Dublin, from Kerry, from Cork. Um, which is really good and it does tie into low carbon in that they're reducing their carbon footprint by being able to hop onto that train. Um, It's a great building like to to have seen the before and after photos and the way it's been brought back to life Um, and it's created jobs as well which is vital. Um, I'd also see it as potentially being a landing pad for FDI companies down the line a bit like Enware and Bloom HQ 
they liked Leash, they wanted to test it out and they've decided to stay in Leash because they have that opportunity, um, particularly if they're looking at a greenfield site. And obviously that takes time to go through the planning pres- process to construct it. So p- potentially there could be an office space there. Well, absolutely, because on last week's show, I had an interview with Ted Mossler, the CEO of an American company called Galero, and they now have established a design office in Athlone but they're currently housed in the Midlands Innovation and Research Centre. Mm. So it's not their permanent home, but it's allowed them that footprint to begin growing their team in Ireland. And I mean, he spoke about how their long term plans are to establish a manufacturing facility. So I think you're absolutely on the money with that one. Even just have that landing pad for FDI companies is, is, a, is a huge opportunity. Absolutely. And we'd be working closely as well with local businesses of all sizes, Ronan. Um, so the low carbon consultancy and training is going to be key. Um, so I've already had conversations with the skill nets, for example. Um, there's great funding available there. The LOETB also have a really strong presence um, in Port Leash and in the county. Um, and they deliver fantastic training in terms of lean green principles which is exactly the area we're looking at. Um, We have a state-of-the-art training room. Um, We also have uh, meeting rooms, which will be accessible to the public to rent out as well. If there's companies looking to come down to Port Leash and rent out a space, it's a a fully interactive training room, which is fantastic. Um, And we want businesses to approach us, you know, what are their energy needs, identify those, put them in contact um, with the appropriate body, be it the local enterprise offices, Enterprise Ireland, SEAI. um, And we'll also have a community element by encouraging people to come in, meet with us, meet potentially with SEAI and see how they can retrofit their homes and what funding is available because it can be quite a minefield sometimes in terms of the application process um, and because we're, we're the first of its kind in the Midlands region um, we'll also be linking up with local companies in terms of delivery of those services. Of course when you mentioned services you mentioned like you know it's accessibility through road through rail it's centralised in the town too Things like internet and uh, fibre broadband connections are absolutely imperative. And of course, there was an announcement yesterday that the Cube in Port Leash has become the 18th gigabit hub nationally. An important move, I'd imagine. We're delighted to be part of this initiative. Um, so we've partnered with Vodafone and Syro as part of their gigabit hub initiative. So this was a national initiative that they launched around 2017. And it currently provides 100% fibre high speed broadband to digital hubs and innovation hubs across the Ar- across the island of Ireland. Um, so we're one of the first innovation centres in phase two um, and we're delighted to, to be part of it. It means we have high speed broadband without compromise. So our speeds are on par with what you get in our major cities. So it shows you don't need to be commuting. It shows you can have your office based in a town like Port Leash. And it's booming, it's thriving. You know, every, Port Leash has everything you need right on your doorstep. It must be because it's managed to keep you as well. You haven't gone too far away. But on Thursday last week, you had the official launch too. You were joined by Minister Simon Coveney, the Minister of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. So plenty of big backers behind it. Absolutely. And we had Carol Gibbons as well from Enterprise Ireland um, and members of her, of, of her team. Um, and from showing the hub to Minister Coveney, he was very impressed by the facilities. Um, he met with WorkWork and FRS as well. And I was delighted to have the opportunity to, to show him around um, and show the potential um, that Leash has and the Cube has, not only in Leash, not only in the region, but potentially at a national and an international level. Um, the low carbon town, Port Leash will be acting as a demonstrator town. So we'll be, you know, the demonstrator town for towns across the country and will also act as a benchmark for similar initiatives internationally, which is really important. Um, and it's about future proofing, 
you know, our communities, future proofing our businesses. And that's where the cube steps in. So exciting times ahead. I'm very new to the role, Ronan, but I watch this space. You wouldn't think, listen, do you actually? But do you see that as well as an opportunity to develop that out? Maybe those international linkages with similar facilities worldwide, because I know different technologies for different parts of the world, but there's probably a lot of learning that can be garnered from each other. Absolutely. And I've seen that with the Midlands Regional Enterprise Plan, how there were links forged with Greece, for example, at a rural level. Um, there's huge opportunities with EU lo- EU funding. Um, and at that level, I look forward to, to tapping into it and collaborating with third level institutions, collaborating with other stakeholders and learning from what other countries do as well. Um, I think that's really important, that sharing of in- information um, between businesses and between the cube. If people want to find out more, how they can do that? Visit cubecentre.ie or drop me an email, caroline at cubecentre.ie and I'll be happy to help. Well, it certainly sounds like those um, three pillars that John Mulholland spoke about way back in January 2020 are all being met. Urban regeneration, local job creation and sustaining jobs in the locality, but also really having that whole thing of carbon neutrality and sustainability as a, as a core uh, proposition of, of what it's doing. Sounds extremely exciting. Can't wait to get a look around it. Caroline Hoffman, thank you so much and all the very best in your new thank role. You, Ron. Now, after the break, we're going to look at that issue of increased aggression towards retail staff and indeed customers in in shops, in shopping centres as well. And, and this was kind of brought to the fore just this weekend gone by in the Bridge Centre in Tullamore. And the manager, John Cusick, spoke to Will Faulkner about that yesterday. I'm going to look at that issue and see, well, what can be done and what, as business owners, do we need to be looking out for when it comes to the security of our staff and indeed our customers there? And also we're going to look at the key findings of a report that was carried out on behalf of Healthy Place to Work. And it showed how... Basically, the pandemic was a reality check for a lot of companies, indeed for employers and employees around how what things need to do, what needs to change in order to retain people and to attract people to your business. So delighted to hear a little bit more about that from the global CEO of Healthy Place to Work, John Ryan, a little bit later. So don't go anywhere. Lots to come here on Taking Care of Business. Taking Care of Business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. It was hard missed the headline on Midlands103.com news yesterday. Pandemonium at Midlands Shopping Centre. And it was in re- reference to an incident of antisocial behaviour at the Bridge Shopping Centre in Tullamore. And it's been described as a pandemonium. The manager of the centre, John Cusick, says he had a bottle thrown at him by a group of teens on the premises last Friday. He also says he and a number of his staff were assaulted. Gardaí were called to the scene and arrested three teenagers, all of whom who have since been released. Mr Cusick, though, says he believes the incident was planned. We are very fortunate that we have a lot of teenagers who are very respectful and are fantastic customers and we greet them every day and they're very good to us. And But uh, this group on Friday were wholly intent in causing a disturbance. Uh, there's no doubt that it was pre-planned and pre-organised and for in the manner in which they carried it out. And this course comes on the back of, of the same man being on with Will a number of months ago and just talking about how they notice that in general people's behaviour now, and of course not all their customers, but just some people were getting a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more impatient with staff and with centre personnel, you know, from time to time. And they seem to be thinking like since the COVID pandemic restrictions were lifted that people's attitudes and approach had changed a little bit. And I think that those sentiments were kind of supported and, and, and replicated right across the country. And we've we kind of seen a bit of a rise in terms of a change in people's behaviours there too. So it, of course, draws that question that as a business owner, what do you need to look out for in terms of your staff? And bear in mind, you may also need to be 
having an extra layer of protection for your customers too. Well, I'm going to find out a little bit more about that from John O'Brien. And John is an operations director at Mangard Plus. They're a leading guaranteed Irish and privately owned security services provider. They're headquartered in NACE with offices right across the country. They deliver professional services. It's the hallmark of their businesses and they provide clients with a range of security services. And John is about to dip in and tell us a little bit more about that. A very good evening, John. Good evening, Ronan, and thanks very much for uh, inviting us along. John, I've given a kind of a brief overview there of Mangard as well. Can you give us a little bit more? Tell us about the actual services you deliver on a on a kind of day to day basis. Yeah, sure. So Mangard Plus are in business for almost twenty eight years. Um, we're Ireland's leading privately owned security service provider, and uh, we provide our service across the entire island of Ireland. So um, we provide our clients with all three pillars of the security sector, which are physical mobile um, technical services and we're the only Irish um, security provider to self-deliver all three services so currently we employ over a thousand staff nationwide and as you said we have offices in the UK, Belfast, Derry, Dublin, Waterford and our HQ is located here in Nays County Kildare so thankfully and, and I suppose by working in partnership with our clients and staff the company has earned a positive reputation for, for providing a quality service running. And are there sectors that you particularly specialise in or really is it kind of a, a service that lends itself to, to all areas of business? Yeah, interesting. And it is a question that's asked of us often. But um, And our response is that we are a, a professional security provider. So um, often you will have uh, other, other companies that might provide other services such as uh, facilities, etc. But we pride ourselves in being um, security experts and specialists so um, the three sectors as I said we, we have a large footprint um, in the physical side of, of the security uh, particularly along the east coast uh, of the country our mobile fleet is, is one of the largest in the country um, our technical service we had the first EN50518 accredited control centre um, and only last year we've acquired a technical installation company so we're expanding in that area too and we see the future really as a blend of technical and physical services, Ronan. When it comes to those physical services and things, particularly like guarding services for, you know, maybe more public facing, where you're dealing a large interaction with members of the public or customer base on a daily basis, do you notice a bit of a rise in demand for, for that physical service and indeed maybe training in that area? Uh, yeah, like I, I suppose if we're referring to like the, the incident uh, recently there in the, in the retail sector, so typically the retail and hospitality sector will require a high level of, of physical security services but a blend of control room support um, should also be provided like which will provide your CCTV overwatch in the operational areas so like good communications network that's essential and a high level of competency amongst the team um, all team members in that environment there must be PSA licensed uh, fully trained in the areas of customer service and conflict management but um, you know, key is that retail security officers in particular, they should rehearse these emergency procedures um, regularly. And, and all team members, they must be aware of the escalation procedures because it is a really, really challenging environment. I can imagine. So I, mean, I think if, if any, every, a lot of people listening would be very familiar with the Bridge Centre and they're probably quite staggered to hear that an incident like that took place. And especially if they know the staff and the way it's managed and yeah. it really is a very friendly and there is a safe environment for people. And I know it will continue to be that too, but I guess it yeah. really does. It, it shines a spotlight on that. So if somebody else is listening and they have a similar facility 
or a shop or retail, what sort of steps can they take like and how can they engage say a company such as Mangard? What are the kind of key things they need to look for first and what does it look like I suppose that whole kind of evolution from looking at your current situation to actually having some form of additional security in place? Yeah, um, like, like we said, and, and not focusing on that incident last week, but it, there is a, a demand, uh, and well, I suppose an increase in, in incidents in our experience. So the demand for retail security, it really depends on a number of factors, like such as the seasonals, for example. You know, at Christmas time, uh, demands are, are, are pretty high, um, but risk and the threat levels in an area, and of course the budget will determine, you know, the, the levels of security that businesses want to invest in. But we have noticed an increase of, of antisocial behaviour in some of our retail customers, um, particularly amongst young people. Um, and in our experience, these youths, they are very often good kids. Uh, they just get caught up in the moment, say, uh, which might land them in trouble. But there, there is a tougher element out there of offenders who, who do continuously try to test the system. So we manage these situations really by early interventions and monitoring of their presence to ensure that, say, incidents are, are resolved quickly before they escalate out of control. And key to that is having the right numbers of resources and supports in place to manage those risks. When it comes then to your own staff, um, sorry, I don't even mean from Mangard, if I was a business owner, are there, is there training programmes I can have my own staff to go on, I suppose, just to give them those kind of key tools in the event of, of an incident actually occurring? As a business owner, I'm not quite sure, but from from um, from our business in terms of the training of our staff yes so obviously everyone who enters the industry now has to have a PSA license but we then as um, an accredited world host uh, training uh, accredited company we also provide additional layers of training such as um, the world host training um, conflict resolution and the likes of that so you do really need to invest in your team to ensure that they have the, the level of, of training, but obviously competence and experience goes along with that too. For a company such as Mangard, you mentioned there you've over a thousand employees now at this stage as well. Um, what does the future look like for you? Like, is it uh, will you can you will you continue to expand in that as those service areas begin to broaden and you begin to provide a service to more businesses? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, Mangard, we've invested in our technical services and we now have the capacity to self-deliver, um, you know, installation and maintenance of alarms, CCTV access control system. And this is for domestic and commercial uh, clients. But our, our core business continues to grow and uh, we're excited about what the, the future will bring. Absolutely sounds like you know, And uh, unfortunately, it does sound like there's, a, there's an, a, an increasing need for, for those security services. But I suppose that's the that's peace of mind. We need to bring that to customers as well. For now, John O'Brien, Operations Director of Mangard Plus. Thank you so much for talking to me this evening. Thank you, Ronan. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And as I said, their Mangard Plus are headquartered up in Mace, but as John has pointed out there, they have offices right across the country and now reaching into the UK as well. And uh, they're, you know, they're quite active in the local community around the Midlands too. Uh, just last December there, they announced where they were, they had sponsored some equipment as well or put money, raised some money for Ballybridge's Rath NS in County Leash there too. So, you know, helping there in their calendar campaign too. So, you know, a company that is has a great presence around the Midlands and indeed is providing a service. And as John has pointed out, a service that's constantly evolving, evolving to match customer needs, but also the latest technological developments, um, as well as providing those physical security and monitoring services on the ground as well. Um, what did you think? What's your response to that incident in the Bridge Centre? Have you seen or heard of similar incidents happening in your town? And are those things on the rise? Let me know. 083 103 is the text and WhatsApp number. Time now for a short break. After that, what key things do we need to look out for in order to retain and attract the best staff in our companies? 
Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. New research has revealed the importance of health and well-being of employees in delivering optimum output and performance for your organisation. Now, it almost sounds like it goes without saying that they would be fundamentally important things, but a recent survey um, sheds a lot more light on this. It was conducted by Trinity College Dublin on behalf of Healthy Place to Work. It's a global data analytics company providing insights to organisations focused on workplace health. They provide an evidence-based and data-driven approach to employee health and well-being, and it supports organizations deliver a sustainable and resilient workforce and a workplace delivering high performance and it empowers organizations with tools methodologies and expertise to gather understand and benchmark that data enabling a strategic approach to workplace health to find out more about this survey and it was of over 6,000 employees in 18 companies across 18 eight different countries i'm delighted to be joined by the global ceo of healthy place to work john ryan very good evening john Good evening, Ronan. How are you? John, this sounds like a very comprehensive survey. What was the primary driver behind it? Well, I think during the pandemic, uh, workforce health became a top priority for organisations. And they put a lot of effort into taking care of um, their employees and making sure that the workplace was a safe place for people to operate in. Um, After the pandemic, um, other issues have taken a priority. Uh, So for some organisations, workforce health has dropped a little bit, uh, to be dead honest. Um, But some organisations are still confused as to exactly how they should handle workforce health. So um, recent research has told us that leaders are sort of saying, we know this is important, but we're not absolutely certain what to do in this area. And when we talk to organizations, what we find is that they take quite an event-based approach to uh, workforce health. Um, and it might relate to you know, the latest international day of X, Y, or Z, that they'll, they'll focus on things. And the fear is that it's a bit of a tick box superficial approach and it normally sits with HR. What we find is that the organizations that become really successful in this area are the ones that see workforce health as a strategic driver of organizational performance and they take a much more data-driven approach to this because what that actually means is that rather than just you know running an event uh, because it's popular or on LinkedIn there's somebody talking about it they actually find out what are the biggest issues affecting the health of their workforce and then they respond to those issues by providing support to their employees and I suppose just you know one of those areas that became very clear from the the research was uh, financial supports so the top priority for people at the moment there's a lot of fear and anxiety and worry about making ends meet basically the inflation has affected everybody and everybody's trying to make ends meet and for some who are on really low wages that's a huge concern in fact, I was only talking to an organization, DHL Express, and the CEO for, for Europe was saying to me that one of the biggest things that they can do to support the workforce health was actually provide hot meals to the families of their employees. Wow. So it's 
very fundamental things that we're actually talking about here. Yeah, you're kind of right back almost on Maslow's hierarchy there, you know, providing that meal as well. It's that that's really fascinating insight as well. Alongside the financial, you looked at the social, the psychological and the physical health too. Any kind of findings within those areas that really jumped out and a bit like the hot meals that maybe caught you by surprise? Well, I suppose, you know, everybody's sort of talking about working from at home. And obviously, most of the, the workforce can't work from at home. OK, let's, let's take that as a given. But a lot of people who are working from at home are reporting uh, isolation. And, and that's sort of the social connection that a, a workplace provides is so, so important and maybe was underestimated by a lot of people. Um, that sense of belonging and actually being able to share news with people and, and gossip, <laughs> quite honestly, it's really important for social relations. And while, yes, productivity may be good for people working from at home because they don't have to commute, what maybe people didn't realise is that the commute itself can actually be a time to decompress. And it actually provides a great separation between your work life and your home life. And for a lot of people... That separation now is a door, if they're lucky, between an office and, you know, the rest of their family. And sometimes that door is open and they can slip back in and start working. And this work creep is actually happening that people just don't know when to switch off. And that is a, a real factor that's going on. And, and that sort of sense of discipline that it takes to be a really, really good at separating those two things is significant. And by the way, uh, the fridge is also very close to people. And what we're finding is that a lot of people are finding that very difficult to resist during the day. And uh, we're seeing people sort of saying, I'm putting on a few pounds because I'm working from at home and I'm not getting exercise by getting out and going to work. So some really interesting data around that. And that on the fact that no matter how many doors or layers of paint you have on your walls, your Zoom mic can pick up the kids shouting out in the far end of the garden as well on the most high, <laughs> high-powered meetings. But anyway, that aside, those kind of four key areas that you, that you looked at as well. I mean, if companies can begin to to look into those and look at their own, as you say, to kind of start building their own kind of employee retention and attraction strategies around those. I mean, the benefits are there. Your report is showing that things like, you know, uh, people are more inclined to stay with the employer, goes without saying as well. But also things like reduced sick leave and um, massive gains for a company as well to really kind of you know, work on this and, and achieve a high standard with all those pillars. I think... You know, the smart organizations are taking a very strategic approach to this and they're taking a data-driven approach. And that's, that's really the difference, right? They're not just going with their gut feeling. They're not just talking to the loudest voices and asking them how things are. They're actually giving everybody an opportunity to talk up. And I think this is really important. I mean, you, you've seen in the last week or two there the report about the defense forces and some of the you know toxic behaviors uh, that were actually happening in that workplace. That certainly wasn't a healthy place to work and probably isn't a healthy place to work. Whereas, you know, it's really important that you give organ- um, people in organizations the opportunity to speak up so that you can actually say, actually, you know something, I know exactly what's going on in my workplace. I know the things that uh, people are struggling with and we're able to focus a little bit of support on those things. And it can be very, very fundamental things around support. Um, because psychological factors are also at play. And we talk about mental health. Uh, you know, I see a movement now where people are talking more about uh, mental fitness rather than necessarily mental health, because sometimes there's connotations mental health. You mention the word and then people think about um, mental illness and the like, whereas it's much more positive to talk about equipping people to actually be mentally strong and resilient and um, 
I think the reality is that, you know, work and workplace can be a pressurised place. So this isn't a holiday camp, and the recognition of that is really important. But number two, what's really come out in the data and the research is that if I report that my health is good, I'm normally very positive about the organisation and the leadership and, you know, productivity follows and the like. But if I report that my personal health isn't great, that then plays out on me being quite negative about the leadership, the workforce, the workplace, and my productivity suffers because of that. So if organisations want to be really sharp and they care passionately about sustainability and performance, they need to focus on the health of their workforce and really support people in times of need. And of course, I think we should point out like it, it is a two-way relationship as well. That, you know, if, a, if an employee says they're not happy in work and they're not happy with their health, they have a big role to play in that also. I think that's important that you know that, that can be addressed within this. But with the data that you've gathered, and I mean, everything we do now is being data-driven, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, is a lot of this data benchmarked on kind of big, kind of large employers, or is there kind of comparative data that can be used for SMEs? If a, if a smaller business or a micro business is looking at these kind of pillars going, what can I do to bring about that change yeah. in my business? It's a really good question because um, our, our data is coming from organisations that have 10 employees and also 360,000 employees. So <laughs> we've got a full remit. And, and interesting, it's across a range of organisations and particularly a lot of public sector organisations are really um, wanting to be able to get data around the mental health of people, the social health of people, the physical health of people, so that they can actually respond to that. And um, so we're seeing a range of organisations. You know, it was funny, from an Irish context, the first organisation ever to be certified as a healthy place to work and is now five years a healthy place to work is the IRFU. And they're now the world number one rugby team. And in a country of less than 5 million people, that's a huge, huge achievement. The second one would be BT Ireland, who have actually put a huge amount of work into this. And they're officially the first organisation in the world to reach five years as a healthy place to work. And they've said that the difference it made for them, the fact that they had this data prior to the pandemic, really helped them to get through the pandemic. And it was the focus that they had at leadership and the fact that the leadership became role models for healthy behaviours. And this really was important to train up every single manager because they're obviously the touch points that most people have with an organisation is their own um, you know, uh, manager or supervisor or the like. And they train those up so that they really ask those questions to find out how are people doing on a daily basis, not just you know, results and performance and the like, but how are they doing? How's their own health? How are they coping with the things that are, you know, happening to them on a daily basis? And that's made a huge difference to that organisation. Yeah, two fantastic organisations. I mean, the work that the IRFU have done in the past 10, 10 or 15 years is phenomenal. And you say we can we can see the results of that now. Very briefly, John, the Healthy Place to Work, it's a recognised global standard for workplace health. Um, you're seeing a lot of interest in it lately. Again, how can companies begin the journey of looking at achieving such a significant certification? Well, it's really easy. Uh, you know, we, we have a 66 statement um, survey which provides lots of information back to the organisations and be they large or small organisations it's just about listening to your people in a really structured way because there's a, a high performance framework that we use and it makes it easy because you can celebrate the things that you're doing well because no doubt most organisations are doing things really really well but there's areas that maybe you can focus on to put a little bit of attention on and actually deliver back what people need and that really makes a difference in terms of people staying in the organisation and 
you know, your ability to attract people to your organization. If you can actually have a brand that says you're a healthy place to work, that certainly helps. Yeah. The results of the survey, are they available for general download? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to our website, um, healthyplacetowork.com. And there's loads of free resources there for people, by the way, also. And if anybody uh, cares to, we uh, released a book in the United States uh, last week. It's available on Amazon it's, uh, through Wiley, and it's simply called Make Work Healthy. So there's lots of stories and uh, examples of organizations and what they're doing to provide a healthy place to work for people. John Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, I look forward to kind of learning more and actually getting into the knee deep into the, the findings of that survey as well and maybe having a look at that book too. John is the global CEO of Healthy Place to Work and thank you so much for coming on this evening. Thank you very much, Ronan. So there you go, data-driven, as I say. Everything we do now is data-driven, whether you know it or not, but every business decision that you make should be driven by data, driven by numbers. Um, and again, that the same applies to workplace health and workplace well-being. Um, fantastic um, survey results. John has just kind of alluded to there as well. So definitely worth checking out on their website and seeing what you can learn for your business. And as he points out, that survey includes organisations of 10 people up to organisations with 360,000 people. So it really covers a broad spectrum of organisations and organisation sizes. And uh, speaking of organisations and great places to work, uh, Midlands 103 is absolutely up there in that list. Um, I've been doing this for five and a half years now. This is actually the 275th episode of Taking Care of Business that has gone to air since September 2017. I'm surprised by that. Now, the guy outside the window who's making faces in at me, apparently, if you were to believe everything that's written online on last Saturday, is in the shortlist or on the shortlist to be the next host of The Late Late Show. Now, believe it if you believe it or believe it not, the one and only Mr. Joe Cooney, he's outside, he's waiting, he's got his Stetson on, he can't wait to get in here and bring you some of the best of Irish and American country music on country roads in just a few moments after news at 8 o'clock. But beyond that, it's time for me to thank all this evening's guests, to Darren Buckley from Alternative Energy Ireland for his contribution there, speaking about the the positive impact the ab abolition of the VAT rate on solar panels is likely to have as well. To Caroline Hoffman on the official opening of the Cube Low Carbon Centre of Excellence in Port Leash. And then we also heard it from John O'Brien from Mangard Plus about a rise in maybe aggressive and indeed antisocial behaviour in some of our more public spaces and how companies like Mangard are helping your businesses to protect your customers and your staff. Stay safe. I'll talk to you all next week. Joe's here after eight. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.